that He is faithful. I'm glad that our God is an unchanging God and that whatever situation we find ourselves, He is faithful. I'm glad for that. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to begin a series this evening uh, just entitled Authentic Church. And uh, orchestra, you can be dismissed. Sorry about that. I should put a cue card up here, dismiss orchestra. All right, but thanks for all your, your efforts tonight. All right, uh, we're going to begin here this series on, on the book of 1 Timothy, just going verse by verse. And I think you and I uh, would agree as we observe where, where Christianity is, and I use that term loosely in our time, uh, that often church doesn't look like church anymore. And the way, the way churches behave in their mentality, uh, the way we deal with each other, uh, it's, it's not like the way God intended it to be. And we have to be guided as a church that as we go about that, that we, as we serve Him, as we meet together, as we make choices for, for the future, as we, as we consider um, all of those things that, that really we, we ought to be aligned to the Bible. And we ought to be aligned to that. And so we're going to go through the book of First Timothy. And Lord willing, um, we'll just go through um, the verses over the next couple of months and, and maybe towards even the end of the year, and then just learn about this, uh, this great book. And uh, the book of First Timothy has six chapters and, and 113 verses. It's, it's quite a, a quick read. Uh, you, can, you can probably read it um, in about 10 minutes if you are an average reader. And it's a good book to just read through and, and consider. Uh, the author of the book is the Apostle Paul who's writing to his son of the, uh, in the faith, Timothy. And we're going to read that. Look at, look at chapter 1. And let's just read the first two verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy is one of the, the three pastoral epistles. Um, or letters written specifically to pastors rather than churches. And, of course, the other two books are Second Timothy and Titus. And uh, this is the first New Testament book to discuss in detail, really, the offices and order in a local church. And so in a time, I think, that we, when we live in, when church is being treated like any other institution uh, and being organized in ways that take in business and even at times, entertainment principles. We must stay true to the biblical way, right? And, and we've got we to understand that, that as, we, as we approach our times together, that this wasn't a design of man. And, you know, sometimes we, we come into our times of gathering without that heaviness and without that, that reality that this was a, a designation of God, that we do gather that as a church body, there's a certain expectation that he has in, in the manner of conduct that we have. And we need to be very careful to, to again, um, place great value on that. You know, if we're not careful, we can just turn up 
And we could just go and observe the trends of the day and follow along with it without considering whether that fits in the context of what God gives us already. Uh, we, we have today churches of yesteryear who, who perhaps held somewhat true to the doctrines of the Word of God and the way, the, the way church should be very drastically and very dramatically falling away from the truth of the Word of God. And they're, 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 they're considering different types of, of leadership. They're, they're considering those things that are so blatantly clear in the Word of God that you wonder where they're getting this from. And it's basically this. They're just buying in today's philosophy. And, and we better take great care in that. Uh, the, really, the theme of the book is, is the doctrine and practice of the church. And the key verses are found in First Timothy Chapter 3 and verse 15, if you quickly turn there. 1 Timothy 3, 15. And, and here he writes, the Apostle Paul, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest behave, to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And we won't exposit that tonight. We'll get to that, but... But basically, it's, it's summarizing the, the key thought uh, in the whole of these scriptures here in, in 1 Timothy, and that's that how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. And it's interesting to me that God uses that word behave because we usually use that in terms of how we relate to one another, how we behave between each other. And, and really, if you think about it, the church isn't a building. It's not a program. It's people. We are the church. And so God uses that word behave because there's a certain conduct that we need to have with one another. And much of it, much of the, the book is, is going to relate to that really relationships in the church and how we communicate to each other, how, how we behave, how we conduct each other in, in, the, in, in the context of our church. And so First Timothy 4.16, he says, Take heed unto thyself. And unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And so the, the, some key, key verses there. But the word doctrine is found eight times all right, in the book. It's likely that the letter was given to Timothy uh, in, in Ephesus there. And although written as a personal letter, really the intention was that it be read publicly to those of the church of Ephesus. And really this was an invaluable thing to the, a young preacher like Timothy. At this point, he, he had traveled around with, with Apostle Paul already. But, but really, this was, a, this was a, special, a special calling, a special command given him to stay there in Ephesus and to look after that church. He was a, he was a young man, and he was a young preacher who was sent to Ephesus and really to, to come into a situation where there was already some error, there was already some some things that have crept into the church that was damaging the church. And in 1 Timothy 1, and uh, verses 3 and 4, we didn't read it, but if we continue reading there, as I besought thee, that's a strong word, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. We know doctrine is just the plain teaching of the Word of God. And so he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I'm sending you there. And in fact, I'm beseeching you, I besought you 
I gave you, I gave you, a, I gave you a, 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 this, this great burden to just stay there and, and make sure that others don't teach any other doctrine. And so he's saying that, that there's, there's errors in that, that have crept in and I've, I've, com, I've commissioned you to go to that place and correct the error that has crept in. And then he says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. And he's, he's reminding him really of the, of, the, of the mission of the local church there is to edify the saints, not to just go about with all of these questions of genealogies and myths and fables. And, and uh, we'll, we'll cover that again in the, in the next couple of, of uh, times that we get into it, uh, into the chapter but we're going to see here what it means, what he means there about the, those fables and endless genealogies. And they were, to summarize that, here's the church, they were coming in, error had crept in, but also this, they were majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. They, they weren't focused on those things which were foremost and most important to, to the church. They, they were going about and they were just trying to figure out uh, through, through myths and fables, uh, some of the, perhaps the mysteries of the, of the church, of the, of, of the things of God. And so, so Timothy was sent into to that situation. Uh, we notice here that there was a forewarning of this. Look at Acts chapter 20. This is, uh, this is Paul writing uh, to, the, to the churches here in Acts chapter 20. He's, uh, he's, Luke is... is, uh, is is recording here for us some of the things that, um, that Paul uh, was warning the church about. And notice verse, uh, verse 17. It says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came, in, I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you all at all seasons. So he's saying at all seasons I've been with you through the ups and downs and through the trials, the triumphs. And then he says, um, he says there, and when they were uh, serving the Lord, verse 19, with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And, and you, know, um, you know that Paul uh, was saved out of, um, out of uh, zealousness. He, he was zealous for the Jewish faith, persecuting the church. And, and he, he came out of that. And now those Jews were coming back and he, was, he became their great enemy. And he says, and how I kept nothing that was profitable unto you. He says, I, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And, and, and he went from a place to place wherever Christians were found, and he taught them right. He taught them those things that God had, had given him, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. And like that verse, he says, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. And, and you know that the Apostle Paul, as he went about, uh, he was a witness to, to those that were lost in every city, but he was saying here it was the Holy Ghost who was a witness in every city. And let's not forget that as we seek to win our city to, the, uh, to Christ, this area of Sydney, that, that, that the Holy Ghost power is the power 
that we need to be able to be effective in the, in the things that we have to do for the Lord. In the gospel. So he says, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. Verse 24, but none of these things moved me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And, and Paul went through some great things. And he's saying he's not going to be moved in his mission. He's going to continue on. And now behold, in verse 25, I know that ye all among them, I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. And he's saying, I, I probably won't see you again. And wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So he's saying all of that to say this, that he's taught them well, that he's not, he's not, he's not been ignorant to be able to show them all of the counsel of God. He hasn't shunned that. He hasn't shirked the responsibility to teach them right. But then he, he warns them in verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. He's speaking to the, the pastors of the churches. And he's saying, take heed. Be warned. He, he's saying, that make sure that you keep your guard up. You're the overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And then notice this, he says, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And he's saying, you know, I'm going to be absent from you. And because of that, there's going to be an opportunity. There's going to be some trouble caused by wolves coming in. And we know if we, if we study that out, we know that wolves are ones who, who espouse error, who, who try to gather a following in the absence of the shepherd. And he, they're creeping in. And they're really, they come in the guise like sheep in, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're really just out there to try to destroy the flock of God. And he's warning them. He says, I'm going to be absent now. And in my departing, here's what's going to happen. And you better take heed. You better teach them right. Because that's the only way to, to reprove and to be able to, to protect the flock. And he says, for I know this, he says. And then he says in verse 30, also of your own self shall men arise. Sometimes it's not even externally, it's internally. And he says, even those, say, some of you shall men arise speaking perverse things. That means twisted things to draw away disciples. Notice it's after them. They're just looking for a following. And to do that, they're twisting words. They're twisting the words of God. They're perverting those things and they're putting a new spin on right doctrine. And he's saying, you better take great care. And really, that was the context of Timothy entering into this church in Ephesus. This was the, 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 the situation that Timothy finds himself in as this letter is written to, uh, to him. And, you know, it's likely that those wolves had crept into the church and now Timothy was sent by the apostle to correct the, the perversion that had come in. And to me, it's interesting to note that the whole, the whole chapter was dedicated to the doctrine of the pastor in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. And church leadership and governance really is a major, major point of attack by wolves even in today's church. Remember the scripture where it says, if you smite the shepherd, you'll scatter the what? The sheep. And so it's important to note that. And of all of Paul's companions, let's focus a little bit on Timothy 
Young Timothy was the most faithful to Christ and really probably the most loyal to Paul. Most probably, Timothy became a Christian as a result of Paul's missionary work in Lystra. Look at, again, Acts chapter 14 this time. And we'll turn to the book of Acts a little bit tonight. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And notice there uh, verses 6 and 7. Acts 14. And he says there, And they they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And then notice, as was Paul's habit, as was Paul's practice, and there they preached the gospel. And, and as a result, there were people saved. As a result, there were those who were converted. We look at verses 21 to 23. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had through, taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And so uh, as they came back through, they recognized that, that not only was the gospel effective in winning souls, they started to see disciples come up. Those who were following the way, those who were following Jesus Christ and His teachings, and they had affirmed them and so we see that, that really this was a time, and, and we don't really know whether Paul himself led Timothy to Christ, but we understand that it was during this time that, that Paul uh, was able to, to meet and Paul was able to minister to Timothy. And, and Timothy's name appears some 24 times right in the New Testament. His mother Eunice and grandmother Lois were godly Jewish women. We, we know that in 2 Timothy but his father was a Greek, right? He, was, he wasn't Jewish. He, he grew up on the Word of God. The Bible uh, tells us in 2 Timothy chapter, through, uh, chapter 3 that from a young age he was given the Word of God. And, and so Timothy, he grew up and, and he, he was saved at a young age, but grew up under the, the, the ministry of the Word of God. And so here we, we see, look at Acts chapter 16. Look at Acts chapter 16 now. We see in Acts chapter 16 that he's invited by Paul to join the team. All right, he was invited by Paul to to come along during his his second uh, trip, his second missionary journey. And and this team would consist of Silas, Paul, and Luke. And look at verse 1, Then came he to Derbe and Lystra. And notice there, and behold, a certain disciple was there. Notice how he's described, it was a certain disciple named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium, that he was well reported, he was well regarded, this, this young man, Timothy. He was well regarded in that area as a, as a true disciple. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and, and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And so we see here that, that at this point, uh, Timothy, Timothy was, was chosen uh, to take on, uh, to take on the, the ministry alongside the Apostle Paul. We see here that he's circumcised by Paul because he, so he can have freedom to preach the gospel in the various Jewish synagogues. You understand that Paul's habit was to go to the Jews in that city 
and oftentimes go to a religious place and he would find the nearest synagogue. And there he would preach Christ. You see that pattern right through the, the, the book of Acts. He, he would go to religious places, to, to temples, to schools of learning. But here in, in this situation, Timothy being uh, half Jew, half Greek, he was then circumcised so that he, he would have some respectability as he went into the synagogue. And, and we see that, uh, that, in, uh, that principle in, in first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20, where, where Paul said about himself, to the Jew, I became a Jew, right? And, and he, here he, he understood the limitations that, that Timothy would have had to be able to, to minister to, uh, to those synagogues. He, uh, we see Timothy also accompanies Paul during the third missionary trip. We see that in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Really, he becomes Paul's close companion during the apostles' first imprisonment. We see that in, in Philippians 1, 1, Colossians 1, 1, Philemon. And so, like Paul, Timothy then later on also suffers imprisonment. Look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And notice verse 23. It says, Know ye that our brother Timothy, notice this, is set at liberty with whom if he comes shortly, I will see you. And so Timothy himself suffers imprisonment. Um, that, that tells us about his zealousness for, for the things of God. That tells us something about Timothy in that he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to suffer along the apostle to suffer those things that the apostle would suffer. And he was zealous for the faith uh, to the point that he was imprisoned as well. And we see that, that, that Timothy really performs ministry in at least five New Testament churches. He, he has ministry in Thessalonica. It's mentioned there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 and 6. He, he does ministry in Corinth. We had mentioned that already. He, he does ministry in Philippi. In Berea, in Acts 17, verse 14. And then here we see in Ephesus, as we, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. So, so Timothy was no, was no novice. He was a young man, but he was no novice. He was, he was around those who were doing ministry. And by the way, can I just quickly say, and this might come in later on, but, but the best way to learn ministry is to do ministry. Okay, I'm glad for Bible colleges and there's a time for that. But the best way to do ministry, uh, the best way to learn ministry is to do ministry. All right, and, and, and uh, I'm glad for, for colleges that have a local church mentality. And I'm glad that, that, uh, that, that as I was able to, over the years, serve here, I learned ministry by doing ministry. And so we see that he performs ministry in at least five New Testament churches we see that he traveled around with, with Paul. He, he was taken around to see different ministries, to, to serve the, those, local, uh, those localities. And, and so we see that, that Timothy was no novice. He was, a, he was a man of God that we see later on. And, and Timothy may have been somewhat a reserved individual. He was one who didn't always enjoy robust health. We'll read that later on in 1 Timothy 4.12. He had some, some health issues, but that seems to always come along with ministry. And Timothy didn't have the most robust health. 
He suffered some things. But later on, we see he was nevertheless a man of God. And he was called that in, in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 11. He says, but thou, O man of God, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. But notice that. He says, but thou, O man of God. And so he, he looks at Timothy, this, this young preacher, this young a uh, young man who had been faithful and zealous, who was not a novice, and he called him man of God. And, and, you know, sometimes we're afraid of titles, but they're biblical titles. And, and you know, we, we, we consider those in ministry who faithfully serve as men of God. And, and it'd be a good thing for us to, to look at that at some point, what that means. But but that's, that's a snapshot of Timothy really quickly. And, and really the outline of 1 Timothy is as follows. In chapter 1, we see some personal instructions. So here, uh, Paul will give some personal... Uh, firstly, in these first two verses, he's going to have a salutation. But really, it'll be personal instructions to Timothy. Then in chapter 2, we have some prayer instructions. How we ought to pray. And how that ought to be a, a, a means of communication in the church. Then we, in chapter 3, we see some pastoral instructions, what a pastor should be, the officers, the deacons as well. And then chapter verse, uh, chapters, uh, chapters 4 to 6, we see some practical instructions about our conduct as believers in the church. Right. So, so though this was written to Timothy, again, as a letter, this was to be read to the whole church in Ephesus. And it was in this vein, really, that Paul writes and records for us how the church how church has to, was to be done authentically. When Paul departed from Ephesus, he left Timothy in charge as his special representative to continue the work there. We see that again in verse 3. He says, I besought thee. Um, sometime after that, though, Timothy evidently wrote to Paul. And we can, this is just speculation, but perhaps he was asking if he could leave Ephesus. Perhaps he was looking at that and, and he was looking at the situation and he was thinking, this is a bit too much for me. What do I do? Paul, can I leave now? And, and there we, we see Paul's response really here. And, and Paul responds in this letter in which he instructs Timothy to remain in Ephesus and continue his needed ministry until Paul would join him there again. You know, part of our statement of faith states that the Bible is a final authority for all faith and practice. And yet often we deviate from it in how we are to behave, in how we are to carry ourselves, in how we are to conduct. And, and it's so easy uh, perhaps to, to look at others. It's so easy to look at how others behave and not be introspective and just make sure we're lining up to how we are to behave ourselves as a household of faith how we as individuals in our responsibility in the local church. And we'll examine all of that as we go through. So this series, I hope uh, to exposit the book of 1 Timothy verse by verse so we can align ourselves as a church to God's authentic design for a church. And so tonight, really quickly, we're going to just see Paul's greeting. Here we're going to see Paul's greeting, Paul's salutation. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy. And notice what he says, my dearly beloved son. 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and first, I want you to note verse 1. We see Paul's greeting was with authority. He gives it with authority. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wrote by his apostleship. He didn't just come, he didn't just, he didn't just introduce himself as Paul. He, he, he made sure to write with authority. And he, he wrote with authority of his apostleship. And we, we know that in, in several other places, in, in different cities, different churches, this was questioned by, by them, the, the validity of Paul's apostleship. And yet, Paul's forwardness in this letter started really with an absolute declarative. It said, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and really, the very nature of this letter, in setting in order certain expectations and behaviors that were to be heeded in the church, really it needed a strong start from an authority. And you understand that, that in that day, the, the canon of Scripture wasn't complete yet. He's going to validate that later on in, in, in chapter 3, verse 16. He's going to validate the Scriptures, but we understand he, the, the, the Scriptures were being written, and here he comes with his authority as a, as a stamp of approval in his apostleship. All right, so this is a statement of Paul's authority. Really, he's laying the foundation for the validity and also the firmness of this letter. And it was to be read with a great amount of understanding that this was from the Apostle Paul. This was from the Apostle to the Gentiles, so given. And it was to be read with, with a great amount of, of, of fear, a great amount of understanding that this came from the authority of an Apostle. And so it was to be read by Timothy, but also heard by all the church. But then he also writes this. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Sorry, we're, we're reading 2 Timothy, aren't we? 1 Timothy, sorry. Unto Timothy, uh, sorry, uh, by the commandment of God. So by, com by the commandment of God. So he says they're the commandment. So he wrote not only by the authority of his apostleship, he wrote by commandment of the Lord. So, so he, he's, he's, he's also doubling up on his authority here. And he's saying, I'm not just an apostle. I'm not just writing this as an apostle. Actually, I'm writing this by commandment from God. I'm writing this as a direct command given me to write to you. It was a commandment of the Lord. He, he doubled down on his authority by acknowledging to the reader that his authority came not by his own will. And you notice we, 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 read it, um, we read it just then. Later on he says, by the will of God. But firstly, because of the firmness of the letter that needed to be written. He not only, he not only uh, just laid out his authority as an apostle, he laid out the authority given him by God by commandment. And, and so he doubles down. and he, So by commission, not by his own will, but by commission from really the ultimate authority, from God, from Jesus Christ, this letter comes. And really the normal term that Paul uses in other epistles was what we read by the will of God. Oftentimes he, when he wrote letters, it was usually with this statement in his salutation, by the will of God. In Ephesians 1.1 he says it, so in another letter written to the same church, 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Okay, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. But here, the, the phrase used here, it was a stronger sense of a commission, of a calling, of a purpose. This, this was a strong letter. This was a declaration of how the church was to treat it. It was a commission given him. It was a command. And so Paul greets Timothy. Paul greets Timothy with some authority. He writes by authority. He writes by his apostleship, by the commandment of God. So Paul then goes on. He says, our Savior. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior. And so Paul refers to God as our Savior. If you study that out, generally this title is saved for Jesus. It's usually Jesus, our Savior. But here we see God, our Savior. And Jesus' name then is appended. It says, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And really what that states again for us is that he makes direct reference to the deity of Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ is God. All right? That he is very God. But then here we see the designation God as Savior. Again, already unusual by Paul. He's only used this, this phrase, uh, God our Savior, in the pastoral epistles. Uh, it's, it's in keeping with the Old Testament presentation of God. And we won't take the time tonight for the sake of time. You can look up Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5. Psalm 24, verse 5. Psalm 27, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. But then I want you to turn to Isaiah 17, 10. And we see here that really it's an Old Testament designation of God. And Isaiah 17.10. And notice here. Because thou hast forgotten the God of thy salvation, and hast not been mindful of the rock of thy strength, therefore shalt thou plant pleasant plants, and shall set it with strange slips. And so he's saying initially there, because thou hast forgotten, notice this, the God of thy salvation. Okay, that's God our Savior. And so it describes God as, as really the deliverer of His people. Okay, they're, they're, He is their salvation in the sense that He was the deliverer of them. And really this is referring to the bondage in Egypt and then the many other times thereafter. That, that's, that's, that, that's the understanding of it. And so God in this sense is the originator and the initiator of salvation. Okay, from, from our impending doom. And let's not forget that, that God indeed needed to save us. Okay, we were, we were facing impending doom. And so Paul is reminding Timothy in his salutation that, that I do this by the commandment of God who, by the way, is your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying you, you need to view Him that way. Uh, let me remind you that, that He is the originator and the initiator of the program of deliverance. And so in the New Testament, we're presented with Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. However, it, it, it's, it's God the Father who is the initiator of the program of deliverance through Christ. All right, uh, two quick examples. Romans 5.8. Right? Everyone knows this as we, you, if you're a faithful witness, but God, right? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
So, so notice there, it was, a, it was the, the d- designer, the designator, and the initiator of the program of deliverance, of salvation. It was God. But the, the enactor of that, the finisher of that, is Christ. All right, John 3.16, we, we know this verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But notice again, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so he's reminding, uh, the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy here that, that, it's, it's, it, that God, our Savior, that He was the one that, that, that initiated the, the, the plan of salvation and, and saved us from impending doom. And it was, it was through Christ. It was God manifest in the flesh that was indeed our Savior. Then notice here he says, Jesus our hope. And he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. And Paul takes specific note to remind the reader that, that Christ is our hope. Okay, it's pertinent for us in a time of false and shifting hope to, to really again take inventory of the fact that we have Jesus as our hope. All right, hope is, is this a desire of some good accompanied with at least a, a, an expectation of obtaining it. Okay, it's a belief that is obtainable. It's confidence in a future event. And we understand that, that our hope is in the Lord. Okay, in, in Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is a man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And we have hope. Why? Why do we have hope in Christ? Because of the resurrection and His promise to return. We have a hope because of the promise that He will come back for us one day. That, that He will come. And I'm thinking here about the time in, in, in Acts chapter 1 when the disciples were gazing at the, in the sky and, and the angel comes and He says, what are you looking at? This same Jesus will return. And there's a resurrection. And because of the resurrection, then Jesus is our hope. Hey, listen, if He couldn't overcome death, then we have no hope. If the resurrection is false, then we have no hope. We're we're of all men miserable. But the Bible tells us that He did rise again. That that, that over 500 witnesses saw Him after after His death. And we understand the, uh, the resurrection. And because of that, then Jesus is our hope. It's an obtainable thing that we can, uh, we can look to. But then second, uh, second verse, notice verse 2, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And I want you to know, not, not only is Paul's greeting with authority, Paul's greeting was personal. He gave a personal greeting. He called Timothy there, my own son in the faith. Later on, he, called, he says, my dearly beloved son. And here he wrote with affection. You know, you don't, you don't just call any person son. And here he calls Timothy his son in the faith. I'm reminded of the verse in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. Why? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you. I have birthed you through the gospel. And really, as, as Christians, uh, we ought to have the mindset here of, of begetting those through the gospel. And this, this is really a term of affection. In, in that Timothy came out of his ministry in the gospel and his call as an apostle to the Gentiles. And, and 
And I, I could, uh, you could sense here Timothy's, Timothy's dearness to Paul. And in Timothy, I believe, Paul saw the, both, both of his worlds. You see, Paul came out, of, uh, came out of Judaism, called to the Gentiles for the sake of the gospel. So in Paul, embodied in him, in his faithfulness, in his zeal, in the birthing of him through the gospel, and, and we don't have enough evidence in the Bible to directly say that it was Paul that led him directly. But we know it was Paul's ministry of the gospel. And as a result, Timothy was saved. And so he looks at Timothy, this, this young man who was half Jew, half Greek. And embodied in Timothy was all of the call of God on his life. He was a Jewish man, but called to the Gentiles. And so, so you can see that the dearness and, and the, the affection that Paul gave to Timothy in his personal greeting. See, Paul, Timothy, uh, Paul met Timothy along the way as he ministered. We already mentioned it, but Timothy's mother was a Jewess, and his father a Greek, and, and Timothy's hometown was, was Lystra. And, and Lystra, of course, was a place where Paul was, was stoned. We read in Acts 14 during his initial missions foray, and perhaps it was at this time where Timothy's family was converted. We know that Timothy's testimony stood, up, uh, stood out enough for Paul to invest in him. In, in Acts 16 too, when we read it, it was well reported of those brethren. Timothy was well reported. And, and Timothy then was, uh, was with Paul the rest of his second missionary journey. And, and you note there that they spent a great deal of time. And this was a journey, um, to, this was a journey of about 1,500 kilometers. Right? An average person would take 273 hours to walk that. Right? That, that would be approximately 11 and a half days of, if you wanted to walk end to end. But they spent a lot of time together. Timothy spent much time with the Apostle and during their journey they learned much from him. In 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And, and he's, he's referring there, he's saying, um, Timothy, you know me, you, you, we've traveled. You know, you're, you're dear to me. And I'm writing this as a personal salutation to you because I know you. You're a son in the faith. You, you've, you've known me. You've seen all of me, warts and all. And Paul invested all that he had into Timothy. See, Timothy was truly Paul's son in the faith. You know, we, we so often hear about having a Timothy, don't we? We hear about that, how we ought to have those that, that are coming behind us that we're, we're bringing up in the faith. But, you know, we've got to realize the labor and toil that involves. It's not just a one-hour-a-week sit down and go through a couple of verses. It's an investment of life. It's, it's, a, it's a birthing. Paul said it this way to, uh, to the church in Colossae. He says, that I travail until Christ is formed in you. And, and Paul, as he referred to Timothy as his son in the faith, he looks at him and not only does he see the gospel having this effectual work in his life, but he looks at Timothy and he writes with, with a realization of the travel and the, the knowing of each other. 
And this was not a casual passing of time. Right? This wasn't just a weekly coffee. Although that's okay. This was, this was, this was Timothy entering into Paul's life. This was an absolute investment. This was a commitment by both Paul and Timothy to journey together. And I want to just say, we ought not to take lightly the sacrifice it takes to fully invest ourselves into those whom God has given us the privilege to bring up in the faith. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive, massive undertake. And so he says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And then he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and here we just quickly end. He wrote with prayerful consideration. He looked at Paul, uh, he looked at Timothy, Paul did, and he recognized some of the things he needed. He needed grace, he needed mercy and peace. And to this young man who was going through this difficult situation in a church where some things were, were not right, there were, there were individuals who were trying to wreck the spirit of the church, wreck the unity of the church, the salutation was with consideration. He says, he prays for grace, grace, mercy, and peace. He says, from God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this salutation really was reserved only to Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. And, um, and he's saying, I'm praying for grace, mercy, and peace. And, and if I can ask for some prayer requests, that would be it. Grace, mercy, and peace. It teaches us really about Paul's personal investment in individuals. You know, we often see men who have a ministry to the masses in Paul. But you know, you know Paul, he was focused on the individuals. He wasn't this guy who just, he would just preach to the, the, the great crowds of thousands. No, Paul knew. Paul, Paul, Paul got in the trenches with people. Paul, Paul wasn't so high and lofty that he couldn't spend time afterwards with that one guy sitting at the front, with that one guy who had a need. And, you know, there's, there's many, many men that I picture in my mind like that, and I'm glad for them. But I want to say I want to be like that. And I want to say you want to be like that. And, and here we see Paul's greeting, Paul's salutation. He was one with authority. He came because of the, the, the difficulty of, of the situation, so he came with authority. He came by commandment of the Lord. He, he reminded him of the hope that he had, and then he, he reminded him of, of his dearness to him. He, he said, Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. And so I, I hope that we would go into the week, and, and perhaps God's given you a burden for someone. And I want to say this, don't take it casually. Don't, don't just sort of greet them. No, greet them and then invest your life. Invite them in. Um, and you know what? That's, there's a lot of insecurities in that, isn't there? And, and no doubt, as Paul walked, there were some times where Paul wasn't perfect. He, he saw his afflictions. He saw all of the persecutions. But it produced this young man, Timothy, who was faithful, who was a man of God. All right, let's pray. And Father, thank you, dear Lord, for the time. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. And, and Father, I pray that you'd help us, um, Lord, as we study 
how we ought to be in the house of God. Lord, that, that we take in already in this greeting that Paul gave. Lord, how we ought to be to those that you've, you've called us to invest in. And that, Lord, we take that seriously. And, and Lord, that we would come with a great, uh, with a great spirit of, of openness. Lord, a great spirit of transparency, a great spirit of commitment. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we head into the week, Lord, as a church, to be the church. Lord, to be about the gospel. Lord, to see those that are lost around us, Lord God, with, and Lord, give them the good news of the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. So I pray that you'd bless each one. Thank you, Lord, for, for the faithfulness of the saints tonight. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, let's all stand. We'll sing this song, and then we can be dismissed.